Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. So, bonjour à tous. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, yesterday, we looked at uh, Deuteronomy 22, 23, um, through the perspective of uh, kindness. In other words, <clears throat> I find that it's important to look at some of the texts through certain lenses. Um, that way, it gives you far much more insight into um, what you intend to get out of it. <clears throat> and there are different ways that you can actually uh, use this paradigm of looking into the texts with a certain context or a certain lens. And today I'd like us to look at um, Deuteronomy 24 and Deuteronomy 25 through the lens of compassion. In other words, <clears throat> People, people get put off when you look at some of these texts and it's like, oh my goodness, I'm, not, I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to avoid that because it's not relevant to me. Uh, I would argue that it's relevant to all of us because we are one family, whether we like it or not. And if you look at um, the book of Deuteronomy, it's, 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 it's like when you see um, some of the things that we're going to look at uh, very briefly, you suddenly realize that Israel is actually, a, 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 or the Israelites are a fairly dysfunctional family. You know, um, with the next slide there. <clears throat> um, it's, it's, it's like, you look at some of the stuff that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 24 and it's like, what a dysfunctional family. They've got divorce, they're remarrying, they're trying to honor marriage. They don't know what their livelihoods are going to be. They kidnap each other. They have leprosy in their midst. Some of them don't know how to make pledges. So if they do make pledges, they don't honor their pledges. And some of them have uh, employments uh, or employees and they're scamming their employees. <clears throat> there is no compassion and there is no equity in this particular system of the Israelites. And when you look at their harvest, it's like, oh my goodness, what happened here? You know, when you look at texts like um, Ananias and Sapphira, <clears throat> You ask yourself, oh my goodness, I thought tithe was 10%. And, and if you give 50%, it means that you're actually doing a really wonderful job. But then you suddenly realize in the New Testament, it's no longer about the percentages. It's honoring God. It's obeying God. It's obeying the instructions that you're given. And so, <clears throat> like last night, I, I got my aha moment in terms of determining the course of um, uh, sort of analyzing Deuteronomy 24 and 25 through the lens of compassion o almost around midnight, because I have sleepless nights. Um, that's when, you know, the good Lord put upon me, well, why don't you look at Deuteronomy 24 in the light of compassion? And so for me, it, it was, okay, what is compassion? You know, because uh, we talk about the word compassion, but different, different people have different views of it. 
But for the purpose of this morning, um, I'd like us to uh, assume that the definition of compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is hurting, in pain, or has a misfortune, and is accompanied by a strong desire to help the suffering. And Jesus Christ is the greatest example of someone in true compassion. In other words, what Christ did, we ought to do. And he was a very compassionate man when he was here on earth. And he still exhibits compassion as the son of God. Not only did Jesus have compassion and heal people from physical suffering, he also demonstrated that the greatest compassion for mankind when he died on the cross for our sins. And so it's not always easy to show compassion, especially when we feel like the person deserves their misfortune. And when I say compassion, I'm thinking in terms of more to do with, let's say, if you have a, a child or children and they've erred, you know, how do you provide guidance in terms of, okay, you've messed up, you need to own up, but at the same time, I need to demonstrate some level of compassion to them. So when you look at the laws um, in, in Deuteronomy 24, and uh, if, if you may allow me to read the first uh, verse, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes out a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends out of his house. Then you start to ask yourself certain questions. You know, why did they get married in the first place? Because marriage is a commitment. Um, marriage is, is a relationship. And even far more than, you know, uh, I'm thinking far much more beyond the physical marriages in terms of relationships, you know, the man and the woman, hopefully, if that's the case. So as now things may be, woman to woman, man to man. But for me, I'm thinking more in the lines of man to woman. How did you come to that conclusion of, of loving that individual and saying that we need to uh, live forever or happily thereafter? What did you find in that individual? What did you find in that relationship that was critical in terms of uh, having this individual stay under your house or stay the two of you stay in one house and be able to procreate and have children and look at the sh children and, and, and say, oh my goodness, God, God has truly blessed us. <clears throat> so the question is why, you know, why, why, why divorce? Um, the author of the text here tells us it's an issue of uncleanness. <clears throat> And Jesus carefully, uh, carefully and properly defined what uncleanness is. He said, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus rightly understood that uncleanness refers to a sexual immorality, a broad term referring to sexual sin, which includes but is not restricted to sexual intercourse with someone who is not your spouse. So that's the uncleanness that is being referred to here. And, and so one asks the question, how do people get to a point where they 
disengage in terms of their commitment. And, uh, and, and as I was saying earlier on, it's not just the physical union of a man and a woman, it's, it's also certain relationships that you have. Um, why did you leave your job? You know, why did you uh, um, disengage from a, a friendship that you had? Um, so, so think beyond just the marital component of things in terms of a man and a woman. But in verses two and four, there's a level of compassion where it's like you can remarry that person. You can re-engage in your fellowship with that individual, um, which to me is, 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 is a critical thing in terms of demonstrating compassion is, okay, um, tempers are fled, but can these tempers be calmed down to such a point that there's a remarriage, there's a reigniting of uh, that relationship that you had with that individual. There's an honoring of that marriage itself. Um, there's a law concerning honoring marriage, marriage in terms of, uh, as, as the text would say, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. And this is the dilemma that um, King David found himself with, uh, with Uriah's wife uh, when he sent her, when he sent him to battle so that he could sleep with the wife. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's a nasty story where a child is born uh, and the child is called Ichabod, meaning that the glory of God is departed. In other words, when you engage in a relationship, when you engage in um, uh, not just a physical union, but also a friendly union where it's like you, your next door neighbor, your neighbors, um, it's, it's, it's almost like the glory of God has departed. You know, the beauty of that fellowship is gone. You know, the things that she used to do with that individual, you no longer can do them. And it's, it's difficult and it's painful unless you have a level of compassion where you can say, you know what? I want to restore that relationship. And so restoration is a critical part of looking at Deuteronomy 24, where it's like this dysfunctional family, can they ever get together again? Can there be a healing process? You know, when things go wrong in terms of your relationships with your uh, leadership, you know, the, 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 uh, the pastors that you have or, uh, the the, or the congregational members that you have, have you tried to work out ways where you can uh, look at things anew through the level of, uh, through the understanding of compassion, where it's, it, it's like, you know what, I want to restore this relationship regardless of how I'm going to look like. And there are other laws uh, uh, exhibited in Deuteronomy 24, where it's like um, one's livelihood is, 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 is taken into consideration. No man shall take the lower or the upper millstone in pledge, for he takes one's living in pledge. When the word millstone is referred to, it's, it's pretty much something essential to a family's livelihood. Therefore, it was forbidden to take it as a guarantee for a loan. In other words, Israel is warned against taking advantage of each other in times of great need. We must take care that we never unfairly profit from the poverty or difficulty of others. And, you know, when you get into a relationship, it, it's, it's difficult sometimes when the relationship is hinged on money, uh, where 
the other person doesn't have enough money to keep the relationship going. And if that's the case, then what one has to exhibit compassion in terms of understanding that it's not wise to uh, profit from the poverty or the difficulty of others. And then in uh, verses eight to nine, uh, we get an illness that comes out, leprosy. You know, the, the command to act swiftly when leprosy breaks out. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites shall teach you, just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way you came out of Egypt. In other words, leprosy broke out and leprosy is, an, is a physical illness that can be seen. And we're right now going through this so-called uh, pandemic, which is a kind of a leprosy because you can see some of the stuff that's going on, you know, uh, the coughing, the, uh, uh, the breathlessness of the individual, the, uh, the appetites uh, or lack of lack thereof. And, and so, when leprosy breaks out, what happens? What are we supposed to do? The text tells us that, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam. And Miriam's narrative is in Numbers 12. I don't know if you folks have done Numbers, but Miriam in Numbers 12 led her brother Aaron in a rebellion against Moses. And for it, God struck her with leprosy. And though Moses prayed for her to be healed, God let her be a leper for seven days before healing her. And she was shut out of the camp for seven days. That's in Numbers 12, 14. So if someone as prominent as Miriam was quarantined as a leper, it shows that every other leper in Israel should also be quarantined, which is pretty much where we are in terms of uh, the pandemic. And I'm not saying that anybody sinned or did not sin, but bottom line is, there's a quarantine process. In other words, you're kept away from others so that you can get that healing uh, done so that you can be part of the uh, congregation um, when, when it's all over. And then another thing that, that they talk about is pledges. You know, uh, when you pledge to do something, then do it uh, because a pledge is an honor. Uh, when you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. And if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. In other words, when you lend someone something, it's very important to have compassion in the process of getting it back. Uh, we live in a society where uh, we're often thinking of things as this is mine. Uh, I would argue that nothing is actually yours because when you die, you suddenly realize that nothing is actually yours if you do wake up. Um, I've, I've had the honor of, of burying quite a few people in the military and I've, all, I've come across this one thing. I, I, I always listen to eulogies very, very carefully. And the thing that stands out the most is not that, that this individual owned this or this individual owned that. In fact, there was one man who had 16 um, very high-end vehicles, um, you know, 
the Alfa Romeos, the Mercedes. He had all, all those vehicles, 16 of them. And in, in, in the eulogies that were offered to him, nobody spoke about those vehicles. The only thing that they spoke about is the relationship that they had with that person. And so when it comes to making a pledge, which is pro probably monetary or lending someone something or your neighbor lending, some, lending something to your neighbor, it's so important for you to be able to understand that if they can't give it back to you in the timing that was you agreed upon, for heaven's sake, have some compassion upon that individual. All right. And in 14 to 15, if God has given you the opportunity to have uh, an, uh, a business, it's very important to pay your, your workers an honest fee. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and he has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and, and it be a sin to you. And then in the 17 and 18, there's a command to be compassionate and fair. You know, this is why I thought of uh, looking through the lens of the, this text. You, we are commanded to be compassionate. We are commanded to be fair. You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to, uh, to do this thing. And then when you harvest, always leave something for the poor. And I, I said the other day that I grew up as a farmer. And when we used to go to the farm, we would glean, um, or, uh, you know, uh, wheat, we would uh, harvest maize. But we would always leave some maize um, in the uh, in the farm, and there were pe people who would always walk around in the farm uh, and be able to take away that which we left behind for them. So, in other words, learn to be compassionate in terms of understanding that all that God has given you, learn to share it. Deuteronomy twenty-five. There are still more laws. And the first one in uh, one to three is a limitation on corporal punishment. In other words, these laws, there are two of them, they intended to protect criminals and animals. So if there's a dispute between men and they come to court that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, then the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, according to his guilt, with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may, be, may, he, may give him and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many more blows above these, and your brother be humiliated in your sight. In other words, if someone has done, uh, uh, has committed an error, it's so important for you to, to limit the amount of pain that you exhibit upon that individual. The, the text says 40 blows and no more. 
the command about animals is don't muzzle the ox. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And this is, this is an agricultural thing. You know, um, I remember we used to have oxen where we would have them yoked to ox, uh, uh, yoked together. And um, sometimes the ox were muzzled, you know, so that they wouldn't uh, wander off and start eating grass when, they, when they're supposed to, uh, to be tilling the land. So you shall not muzzle an ox is a, is a law that's designed simply for the humane treatment of a working animal. In other words, if you have an animal, you need to treat it humanely. So in other words, the bottom line for these things, um, we're in Deuteronomy 25, by the way, where it's, it's, it's like, yes, if you have the power and the other individual doesn't have the power, it's important for you to be careful how you exhibit the power that you have, but you need to be compassionate about uh, being able to exhibit justice. If spouses get in, uh, in fights, uh, that's 25, 11 to 12, wives are forbidden to interfere in their husband's fights. In other words, if a husband starts fighting, um, wives should not get into, uh, into the two of them, uh, in, bet in between the two of them. Because the text says, you shall not have pity on her. You should, your eye shall not have uh, pity her because partly that is of the great mischief she's done to him, both to his person and his posterity and partly to deter all women from immodest and impudent carriages and to secure that modesty, which is indeed the guardian of all the virtues. As immodesty is an inlet to all vices, as the sad experience of this degenerate age shows, and therefore it is not strange that it is so severely restrained and punished. And then there are two laws commanding justice, um, uh, verses 13 to 16. God commands, and wait, uh, commands weights and measures to be just. In other words, if you go to the flea market or if you go to some of the markets, um, you know, the farmer's market, it's, it's very tempting for farmers uh, who are selling their produce to tip the scale or alter the scale so that they get a, a bigger profit out of what it is that they're getting. And so God tells us that we have to be, um, we have to live honestly and we have to exhibit things in a just manner. And then finally in 17 to 19 is the destruction of enemies. And the enemy at hand was Amalek. And Amalek was not the best of, uh, or the Amalekites are not the best of people that the Israelites encountered with. And so if we can look at Amalites, uh, Amalek, Amalekites as people or things that we hate with a passion, or we hate with a passion simply because God hates that with a passion, then we are supposed to get rid of you know, uh, the Amalekites in our lives, things that cause us to be uh, unhappy, and unha unhappy because God is unhappy because of that relationship. So in other words, don't embrace yourself with things that God doesn't like. Uh, God is fair, God is just, and God is compassionate. And Jesus exhibited those qualities to us. And these two texts, Deuteronomy 24 and 25, much as they're speaking about um, how the Israelites ought to live. I think they also speak to us today in, 
in terms of how we ought to live, demonstrating compassion, not only to our own selves, you know, don't hate yourself because you've done certain things. Don't hate your wife because she's done certain things. Don't hate your children because they've done certain things. Don't hate your coworkers or even your boss um, for that matter. It's important for us to be compassionate in terms of our dealings as Christians. Amen. C'est tout pour moi. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Padre Ken. Thank you for uh, diving into compassion. I love how um, you're just framing this in a manner that um, that is understandable for us, you know, as we walk walk out our faith. Well, those of you who are um, who have uh, have to go, uh, you're free to go. I'm going to just um, wrap this up in prayer, and then we'll go into. Uh, questions and um, people sharing. So let me just pray. And then we'll go into that. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are deeply compassionate, um, that your compassion for us extended to the point of sending your son, Jesus laying down his life, um, sending us the Holy Spirit to guide us afterward. Uh, God, I, I thank you. I thank you that you, that you love us that much. And God, I ask that you would teach us how to um, then display that love for the rest of the world, uh, to extend that love to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and live in a manner that is honoring of the name that we carry, that uh, is honoring of the name that we, we claim um, to be aligning with in our lives. And so, Lord, I, I just pray uh, for each and every one of us that you would Continue to work in us and teach us, uh, mold us and shape us and bring us closer and closer into alignment with your heart and your ways. And I ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Have you become an official member of our HeartStrong community? Visit heartstrong.life and click membership to sign up. Once you've registered, you will receive an email with links and tips for how to engage everything that HeartStrong has to offer. As a member, you will have access to so much incredible discipleship content found on the members page, such as all of our weekly Bible study events, a monthly training plan with disciplines and practices and discipleship questions to help guide you on your discipleship journey. We also have our most recent Bible study video, all of our teacher Bible study notes, and an on-demand video archive of all of our Bible studies that we have ever done. And lastly, every month, we create and curate content to encourage you on your discipleship journey. So what are you waiting for? Visit heartstrong.life and join today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together. One, two, three.